0: I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 157. Okay, starting right off. Look,
1: I have nothing thrilling in my life to tell y'all, but like two weeks ago, I hooked up with this guy. Oh, God. And it was all good. Good, good, good. Until on Snapchat, he had linked his TikTok. <laughs> and so I was going to show Carrie, but I was like, it sucks because TikTok, you know, you can't. Like, save someone's thing without liking it, and I can't, like, like his stuff, you know what I mean? Because we ain't to that level. We just, like, we just fucked. Yeah. So, I'm showing Carrie, because I found, like, I, like, did his full name, because we are on that level. Found it. So, we're going through showing her the TikToks, and she tried to pause it, and she double tapped it and liked his TikTok. (laughs)
0: So in turn, (laughs) Carrie fucked me. (laughs) I unliked it just as quickly. (laughs) Will he get a notification? I think he will.
1: And then he's going to be like, what? And then it's going to not be there. And then he's going to be like, that
0: trifling bitch. (laughs) Well.
1: He's going to be like, "You, you stalking me? Be like, well.
0: Like, legitimately, (laughs) we laughed so hard. (laughs) I dropped the phone immediately, luckily on the desk. I didn't drop it on the floor. Like, my arms went numb. (laughs) I laughed so so hard. (laughs) I have turned into her mother. Like, literally,
1: my mom has done that before. I had to start screenshotting pictures because my mom would like pictures on Instagram. And I'm like, no, no. That can't happen. Like we doing dirty like stalking here, mama. You can't be letting people know that you're looking at these pictures.
0: And by you, it's under my account. So Meanwhile, she takes the phone over and pauses it first try on the part that we need to pause it on. And I was on the third go round of the said video. <laughs> she said on the first fucking try. Literally. I mean she just picked it up and went doop on the Oh, god damn it. When did I become this old woman? (laughs) You get out of the dating game for a fucking year and you're an old woman, right? Well, there goes my social life, right there. Whatever. You got like six more dicks appointments. Dicks Dick's appointments. appointments. See, I'm old. I'm fucking old. I'll go to the WalMarts (laughs) for your dicks appointments. (laughs) I probably think you get outdoor equipment at your dicks appointments. Oh God.
1: Oh my God.
0: Lord. Like
1: dicks. I get it. Oh, my God. You are my mama having to explain (laughs) the fucking punchline, y'all. I cannot with this girl. I
0: cannot. (laughs) Well, you know who can? Patreoners. Ooh. So, thank you so much, Brittany K. from South Carolina. Sarah D. from Illinois. And she has a podcast herself called The Creep Show Podcast. Caitlin C from Montana, Isaac M from Kentucky, and just purely synchronicity. Uh, happy birthday, Isaac! And welcome, Brie J from Arizona,
1: Christy E from Kentucky,
0: Danielle D from Nevada, Lauren W from the UK, Dacia W from Colorado, and Jessica F from Illinois. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. We hope y'all are enjoying. All the bonus content. And I know we mentioned it a couple episodes ago, but like we said then, we know that not everyone can support us on Patreon, which we totally understand, but there are other ways that you can support us, liking and reviewing us on different podcast players, but also liking and following us on different social media platforms. We actually had some people reach out and say they didn't even know we were on those social media platforms for the 18th time in a row. So... Check us out on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, a Paranormal Chicks group, and then on Twitter and Instagram, the APC podcast.
1: Yes. And we have almost a thousand reviews on iTunes, but we're like 40 away.
0: (gasps) Y'all got to be that 40.
1: Please,
0: can you get us there? A thousand. Because that would be amazing. I can't even believe a thousand people listen to us. Me either. But thank y'all. Well, I mean, you know, there are probably some that stopped, the ones that don't like the F word. Yeah. Well, I
1: said it a lot earlier in that story. Fuck, Donna! (laughs) Well, he fucked me, then you fucked me, and that's a threesome I never want to have again.
0: No, I definitely don't want any part of that shit. (laughs) Okay, for my story this week... Wait, is it a child anything? No, it's not a child. Okay. I didn't remember that, but it's not a child. Okay. I totally didn't remember that. Oh, (laughs) God.
1: Is anyone surprised? No. No.
0: And the collective, no. But this story did come from someone in the Creepinati. So thank you so much, Nana Kay, who is from Denmark, which is where this story takes place. Like I said, this story takes place in Denmark, and it focuses on two people. Kim Vall, who the English pronunciation would be Wall- but she's Swedish. And I did watch a YouTube makeup tutorial on this by Paulina Beauty. And she's Swedish. And she said that it's pronounced Kim Voll and Peter Madsen. So we're going to just talk a little bit about each of them and then how their stories intersect. Kim was an independent journalist who was brilliant. Growing up, both of her parents were in media. Her mom I think her mom was a journalist and her dad was a photographer, so grew up traveling the world, chasing down stories and that sort of thing, and it just was in her bones. She was highly educated. She graduated with honors from Columbia University, where she got her master's degree in journalism and international affairs, and then she got her bachelor's of science in international relations from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Because she was an independent journalist, she had articles in many different publications. The Guardian, New York Times, Vice Magazine, Time. She worked from Sweden to New York to China. Her specialties were these human pieces that focused on identity and gender and just social justice and foreign policy. She was known for not shying away from the difficult stories. She even did stories in North Korea. Like I mean, she was not afraid of doing these hard-hitting pieces in some of the most difficult areas. Even in Haiti, after that huge earthquake, where she's looking at the tourism industry and how it's been impacted by the earthquake. You know, she's doing these hard-hitting pieces in sometimes hostile environments that can be war-torn or just from natural disasters. By the end of 2017, she and her boyfriend, they were about to move from Denmark to China. But she had this one piece that she was still working on that she wanted to complete before they left. They lived in an area that, how it was kind of described in some stuff, I picture very industrial. What I picture is old factories that in some places were transformed into housing, and in some places were still warehousey type buildings that could be used for literally anything, any type of business that wanted to be there. So it could be some sort of manufacturing something, so it could be anything. One day, when she and her boyfriend are out just kind of exploring in the neighborhood, she sees on one of the buildings, Rocket Madsen Space Laboratory. And that's what kind of sparked this last piece that she wanted to write before they moved to Beijing. So there had been this push for like an amateur space program. And that's kind of what the piece was about. There was this one guy in the area In particular, that was pretty well known because he was, as he called himself, like an inventorpreneur. I guess is I think is how you said it. And that is Peter Madsen. So Peter Madsen grew up near Copenhagen. Peter had three older brothers that his mom had from a previous marriage. Well, two previous marriages, and his mom was a good bit older than his dad. Not that that matters, but it's just. I don't know why I said that detail, but I did. Because everybody else said it, so I did, okay? Well, when he was six, his mom basically abandoned him and his dad. Took the three older brothers and left. His dad on a pub, and again, they spent a good bit of time together. Allegedly, his father was pretty abusive. But from what I understand, it was more towards the stepsons, And so I don't know if maybe that's why the mom left. So... I don't know how much it was towards him or not. Well, Peter's father was really into rockets and all of that because he was born in 71. So it was obviously after, you know, the whole race to the moon stuff, but still early enough to where it was like, you know, people now aren't as interested in the space program as the 70s, you know. So his father was really interested in rockets. And so Peter became interested in them, too, so that they had that that they bonded over. And together, they would make little rockets and stuff like that that they could set off. And, you know, that's just some of the stuff that they would do together. But when Peter was just 18 years old is when his father passed away. Peter never really had any formal education, though. He was self-taught. With all of his sciencey rockety things. You know, that's the fancy word for it. In 2008, he co-founded a company called Copenhagen Suborbitals. That's a company that really charged with working on this amateur space program. It was like a crowdfunded type amateur space program. The problem with Peter was, and you know, I'm just assuming, but he had such a temper
1: He had a short fuse.
0: (laughs) We're just going to move right along from that. Oh, gosh. Good one. He didn't have a formal education. And if he's doing this with people who are like literally rocket scientists, like, I mean, that's a fucking saying for a reason. Right. They're actual rocket fucking scientists. Then I can see how he would be a little insecure. But... That doesn't give you the right to throw tipper tantrums. Right. And they said he would literally throw things like hammers. And when you have... You're literally working on building a rocket. Right. And you've got rocket fuel and shit like that. uh, Yeah. You can't just be willy-nilly throwing a hammer. Right. I feel like that's an OSHA regulation you're breaking. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I don't think it's OSHA in Denmark, but you get the point. right? So eventually... The Copenhagen suborbitals ditched him. They're like, you're fucking out. You're a liability. We can't have you. Like, you guys to go. That's when he opened the Rocket Madsen Space Laboratory that Kim saw on her walk. The other thing that Peter was well known for, though, was not just the space business. He actually built submarines. So, he liked the sky and the sea.
1: He did all kinds of shit like that. Like, I want to shoot you into space. I want
0: to get you as far down as below. Like, I think that this speaks so much to his maybe narcissism, like feelings of inadequacy, narcissism, maybe. I don't know which one because I don't know. I haven't met the guy. Y'all tell me what you think. But that he feels like he has to conquer literally the sky and the sea. Yeah. I was listening to this podcast about it called The Minds of Madness. And it was saying like he has to go, I forget how they said it, like to the peaks of the sky and the depths of the ocean. He's literally going as far as he can in both directions. So I don't know. What do you think? Is it narcissism or is it feelings of inadequacy? I don't know. So he was actually on his third submarine. His first two submarines were the UC-1 Freya. I hope I'm saying these names right. And the UC-2 Kraka. He was on his third submarine, the UC-3 Nautilus. The UC-3 Nautilus was the largest privately built submarine in the world. So again, obviously it's not bigger than any military submarine. So it's not the biggest, but it's the largest privately built. So Kim's really trying to nail down an interview with Peter because he's really well-known in the area. He does a lot of different things with the media. You know, he's really well-liked with the media. He's very engaging. He does different speaking engagements and that kind of thing. And so people know him in the area. They know the submarine. I mean, hello, this big submarine in the fucking water right there. I mean, he's known. So they're getting closer and closer to the time where she and her boyfriend are going to leave for China. And so she's still holding out hope that she's going to get this interview with him. And she's continuing to reach out and reach out and reach out. And finally, he messages her back and says, okay, can you come by for a meeting? Is it on the submarine? No, it's not. But they meet for just like a quick couple of minutes. I think like a quick, maybe even just like 15 minutes. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but not very long. And he's like, oh, well, I actually don't have a lot of time right now. But later this evening, can you come meet me on the submarine and I can show it to you? And we can finish up this interview. And she's like, ooh, well, I actually have a going away party tonight. But ooh. She knows her boyfriend's going to understand because he's so supportive of her career. And so she's like, yeah, I can make it work.
1: Okay. I do not know this story. However, on the first season of Solve, that podcast, mm-hmm. it's like the law and order of podcasts. So it's like ripped from the headlines. Yeah. I think they had a story of this and like you have to solve it and then it says like taken from probably blah blah, blah. so i don't know what
0: happens or whatever but i think this is the story probably so, ee- okay 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 so kim tells her boyfriend about it and of course he's very understanding he's like girl go get your story like you wanted wanted to wrap this up get this story finished before we left like go ahead and she's like, "Do you want to you want to come on this submarine with me? Like this is like a once in a lifetime. Like you want to come?" And he almost goes and then he's like, "No, like they have this going away party that they planned and he doesn't want to cancel last minute on all their friends. So he's like, "No, you go and then when you finish just come meet us to wrap up the party." And so she's like, "Okay, I'll be as quick as I can and then I'll meet y'all wherever y'all are to wrap up the party." So on August 10th, 2017, Kim heads out to meet Peter on the submarine. When she gets to the submarine, she texts a picture of herself on the submarine to her boyfriend. Like you can see her standing there. You can see Peter behind her, but like his back's turned. She texts him, you know, like, hey, we're doing good. You know, about to start the interview kind of thing. After a little while, one of their friends like, is like, hey, look, to her boyfriend. And they look up and they can see the submarine going by. And she's like standing there waving to him, And, you know, they can like just like see him. It's so cool. Later, he gets a text from her that says, hey, still alive. Everything's good. Like he's bringing out tea and biscuits or whatever it was. Well, then the night progresses and it's time for her boyfriend to go home. Still no Kim. And then he lays down to go to bed tries to go to sleep, still no Kim. And it's like, okay, she should be back by now. Like, what's going on? So he calls police to say, hey, Kim's not here. She's out in the submarine. Is something wrong? Have you gotten a distress call or anything like that? Like, what's going on? Well, of course, police are going to take this very seriously because, you know, not only is someone missing, but there's also a freaking submarine out in the waters that where the hell is it? When they go to radio the submarine, it's not responding. So now they have this submarine that's out somewhere in the water that could be of danger to other vessels. So they're trying to find it and trying to find it. Well, by the next morning, and this is like 11 a.m. next morning, not like 4 a.m. This is like 11 a.m. They finally get Peter over the Breaker Breaker one And he radios that everything's okay. There's a private boat that sees Peter. Because, you know, with the submarine, the top hatch is like how you get into it. You know, in all your submarine experience. Mine too. And so they like see him up there. And they're like, hey, hey, are you okay? Kind of thing. He goes down into the submarine, and then the submarine starts sinking. And so the people on that private boat have to rescue Peter. Well, all of this media is out there because they're like, you know, people have gotten wind of this submarine's missing. Oh, wait, you know, it's Peter and his submarine's missing. Wait, is there, there's a girl that's on there, and she's missing? Wait, who, who you know... They're trying to put these pieces together. And then when they bring Peter ashore, he kind of talks to him, but also kind of ignores them, which is unlike him because he's usually so jovial with the media and laughing and joking and all that. I mean, granted, his submarine just sunk. So, you know, he's not going to be like, hi ho, hi ho, you know. But he did say something to the effect of, it sunk and all the doors were open. I just remember that like sticking out in my head that he said, like he specifically mentioned that it sunk with all the doors open.
1: Mm. Every time I think of a submarine, all I think about is like that one like binocular. I don't know, whatever you would, whatever it is, but like on the cartoons where the one eye is like really big and it's like wonka wonka. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not very clear on the exact timeline of the next, let's say 24 hours. Because at some point, Peter tells police, again, this happens in Denmark, so I don't know exactly what their rules are, because I'm trying to put American laws on Denmark, but they detain him on involuntary manslaughter charges. I don't know how, but I also don't know their laws, you know. But I do know that he tells police that he dropped Kim off. At the docks at this bar. Before he took the submarine back out. So he says that he was alone on the submarine when it sank. But they took him in on the involuntary manslaughter charges. But where he says that he dropped her off. There's a bar right there that's like um, hold the phone. I have really good CCTV coverage of this entire area. Here's the footage. And there is no submarine docking, there is no Kim, there is no sign of them to be had. So they know they've busted him in lie number one. So the next day, he goes for his pretrial custody hearing. And that's where they decide, basically, it's like our, where they decide whether, I forget what it's called, but where they decide whether to keep him on remand or release him on like his own recognizance kind of thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying law and order words. At this point, the prosecution is like, no, 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 we need to keep him, for sure, locked up. And, you know, they're trying to get him, his defense is like, no, 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 he's, he's cool, it's fun." Well, at this point, he changes his story. And he says, well, her death was an accident. It's like, what Right.
1: If her death was an accident, you wouldn't have lied about it in the first place.
0: But also, um, what death? I mean, duh. Yeah, it's, it's my story, so duh. But, yeah. Um, skirt. What yeah. death? Yeah. Excuse me, sir. Um, you you missed a step. What death? So he says that. So the hatch that you you climb in. You know this like 150 pound hatch, 70 kilogram hatch. When they were getting in, he, like, loses his footing and the hatch falls and hits her on her head and kills her. And so he does the only appropriate thing is to bury her at sea. Okay. Because that's the, you know, the thing that they would, she and her family would want.
1: Exactly. You oh, know, my You know, never gosh. see her
0: again. Bury her at sea. Never get to say goodbye. Yeah, that's what they would want. Right. Yeah. Dunkin dumbass. So they're like, Okay. You have to be held for at least 24 days. Well, after he said that, of course they're looking. I mean, the police this whole time are, are searching for her. But the very next day, they raise the submarine. Like they unsubmerge it. <laughs> <laughs> and they start looking into it to see if they can find Kim. Well, as soon as they get on it, they realize that Peter sunk it intentionally. And that's where I'm like, duh, and he left all the doors open so that any evidence would be washed away Mm -hmm. and not kept like a fucking time capsule. Yeah. You know, like a submarine's meant to do. Yeah. You know, keep everything from getting wet. They did find some blood and hair that belonged to Kim when they searched the submarine. Then, ten days after Kim went missing, a cyclist is riding down the beach, and they find... A torso. And this torso is obviously dismembered and completely naked. DNA confirms that it is Kim's torso. And there were 15 stab wounds on the torso. And some of the stab wounds were actually in and around the genitalia. Those stab wounds were made with a screwdriver. What? What? And a good bit of them were done pre-mortem or close enough post-mortem to her being alive that it still, like she still had enough blood pumping that it, it looked pre-mortem. Wow. So at that point, they charged him with indecent handling of a corpse. But I set her out to see. Right. He's still sticking to his story of she hit her head on the... What's Ducci? The latch. Yeah. And that he buried her at sea. And it's like, but um what um then a couple of weeks later they find Kim's skull. Guess what? No skull fracture. Color me surprised. So clearly Mm -hmm. she didn't die from a bonk on the head from your (laughs) heavy latch door. Right. So they get his computers. And they're looking, and they find all of these searches for some pretty snuffy snuff porn. Oh, gosh. One of the videos that he had saved was a killing done by decapitation and burning. Mm. Well, here's the thing. These videos were, were real. Like These weren't just like... Oh, let me act this out, porn. Like, these were like real Real fucking films. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, real shit. So then police were like, okay, well, did he film this? Because, I mean, this shit real. So is he the one that killed these people and filmed this? But they were able to prove it wasn't him that. Filmed it. I don't know where the fuck it came from, but it wasn't him. Like he downloaded it off of something. Right. Whatever dark web troll shit he was on. Yeah. So they found that his top three porn searches were throat, girl, and pain. And then based on his search history too, they could tell that he was into videos specifically where women were being harmed with knives or spears just hours before Kim came onto the submarine, he had Googled beheaded girl agony. Ugh. Doesn't that just like make your stomach just... Yeah.
1: Well, and one, he is a total nimrod because he sees her waving at people...
0: I know. From the submarine. You people know are I mean? Going to miss her.
1: Yeah. It's not like you have planned this out. You know, he's it looks like he's planned this out, but he's only planned it out five minutes before she gets there. I know. You know what I mean? And it's like you're literally seeing that, oh, okay, this is someone who tons of people know because she's a renowned journalist. Two, you know that she has a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, she is supposed to be leaving somewhere with... You know what I mean? Like, you know, they talked about this stuff. And it's like, "Mm, maybe just be like, not this one. Like, not the right time. Yeah. I mean, not any of them,
0: but... Not any of them. But I mean, like... No, I know. You dumb.
1: Like, I mean, I'm glad.
0: I'm not glad that she's dead, but I'm... Glad that he chose somebody that he was going to get caught caught. with. So that he didn't do this to 18 other people. Completely agree.
1: But I'm just like... Like, oh, okay, okay. So, you saw that she was waving to 18 people there, but mm-hmm. you thought, yeah, okay,
0: yeah, it's because he's not thinking. Well, when they found the plastic bag that had her head in it, they found plastic bags that also included this. Is we're getting a little more graphic, but her legs and her clothes. Then, in late November, on one week divers found her arm and then the next week they found her other arm wow oh my gosh they eventually in january just gave up looking for their cell phones that they know that he just threw overboard
1: yeah i don't know if they could tell this because it had been in the water too long or anything but these body parts could they tell if
0: this was pre or post-mortem the dismemberment? Yeah. Postmortem. Okay. Oh, God. So, he ended up being charged with murder, dismemberment, and indecent handling of a corpse, and having sexual relations of a particularly dangerous nature. And that's because of the stab wounds in and around her genital region. Because there was no semen found on her. Mm. But it's because of the wounds. Okay. Okay. So apparently in Denmark, they do a trial with six jurors and not 12. You know how sometimes people decide to do a trial with jurors or a judge? Yeah, the bench
1: trial, I think is what it's called.
0: Yeah. Well, that's basically what he did. So he decided to do a trial in city court where it was two judges and two jurors instead of six. He went through a lot of different psychological evaluations. Did I mention he's married? You did not, but I was going to ask you, because on the solve thing, he was. Yeah, he's married. I don't even know her name. They had an open marriage, though, so it was pretty, like, everybody does whatever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I literally don't even know her name. Never even saw it anywhere. They. Pretty much kept her identity pretty secret. And they've divorced since all this. I would think so. Obviously. So, of course, the prosecution is like, hallelujah, that he changed the story like 18 times. I mean, that's good for them. So, really, he changed it three times. So, the first time was he said that dropped her off. Second time, she conked her head on the latch. And then at trial, he said that it was carbon monoxide poisoning. And that he did still bury her at sea. Sir. I know. Sir. I know. Meanwhile, that all the stab wounds were so that she would sink. And Sir. And that he tried his best. Just randomly in that spot, though. Yeah. He tried his best to um, hoist her up with a rope, but she was too heavy. You know, all 100 pounds of her. Mm-hmm. I think that says more about you than her. Also, just happened to... Be in bags? So, no. So, because she was so heavy, he couldn't hoist her up, but he was determined to bury her at sea. So, that's why he dismembered her. Oh, okay. Okay. That is very respectful to the body. Yes, it it really is. I mean, if you're going to be buried at sea, I mean, what better way? I mean, wow. To have a stranger... (laughs) dismember you with none of your family members present nor the love of your life that you were Mm going to spend the rest of your life with because that's what like her boyfriend that was the love of her life like they were so happy gonna spend the rest of their lives together like fuck you so (laughs) fuck you peter not fuck you her and her boyfriend
1: yeah oh my gosh he is
0: yeah so
1: even pirates would be like what the fuck are you talking about mm yeah
0: yeah well, the other thing was, when he was describing the dismemberment in trial, he was very emotionless. But he was jerking his dick? I mean, he th- I mean yeah. hmm It was like he would say things like, it's worrying. He would say words that he thinks would be good descriptors to make him sound empathetic, Mm -hmm. but he's not because he's a piece of shit and he's not empathetic at all because he doesn't give a fuck because he got off on what he fucking did. Right. So he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. So two things have happened of note since he's been sentenced to prison. The first thing is your boy got married. Imagine that. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To a Russian artist named Jenny Kirpin. I don't know if that's how you say her last name. But, okay, so, okay, people have been, whew, to her. Apparently, she's, like, doing, like, this self I don't know if she still is, but she was, like, in this self-imposed exile to Finland. But some stuff kind of alluded to the fact that she's, again, she's an artist, And that, like, this actually may be for a piece, like, for this art piece. And then it may all kind of be a sham. Like, for her. Like, he doesn't know it's a sham. But she got married to him? To get, like, inside stuff from him. I don't know. Who knows? I feel like if it's in an article, everybody knows. So it's, like, probably not. But I kind of hope it is. Because, again, fuck you, Peter.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. But I feel like you could have just got that without marrying
0: him. No, I know. I completely agree. Um, also, it pisses me off. And I don't know. I don't think that prisoners should have the right to fucking get married. I said it. I'm not saying
1: anything against that. I'm saying, I was just going to say off mic, I told Carrie, I was like, and I bet people wrote to him in prison, just like Chris Watts, being like, you're a good dad, you're a good husband. And you literally said he got married. Well, that's why I
0: said uh, we should keep that. (laughs) (sighs) I'm sure I popped my finger or something. And that's probably why we didn't keep it. But I don't know. But (sighs) I really, I really think it's such fucking bullshit that he, that prisoners have the right to get married. Like that, that is not, let me change. No not the fucking right that they have the goddamn privilege when people in the LGBTQ community just got that motherfucking right. And these fucking, these fucking prisoners who have murdered people can just fucking get married. willy fucking Nilly. Yeah. That pisses me the fuck off. And then the ones that fucking get conjugal visits. And so then we have to have, have to have more fucking tax dollars to have fucking separate little housing shit. So where they can fucking fuck. And you know what? you know what? That's, you know what? The other day, because it was when we were talking about how it is so awkward for me when I hear people have sex and I'm not supposed to hear have sex. Mm-hmm. And Colby said, because remember Colby used to be a prison guard, mm-hmm. and he said, "Uh, yeah, you should hear it when they had conjugal visits." And I was like, "Well, I didn't even fucking think about that. He's had to fucking be the guard on the outside when the inmates are having fucking conjugal visits." Nope. No, ma'am. No, sir. I don't want any fucking part of that. Mm-mm. I would. That gives me the fucking heebie-jee. No, I would. Oh, my God. My neck is turning red right now. I have... I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. They probably had the most vanilla sex, too. Or not. Y- you never know. It's the quiet ones, girl. That's my soapbox. And you know what? That's what pisses me off. Is it... Th- that That... <laughs> you know, it's like... The fucking law-abiding members of our society that just got the fucking right to get married. And you've got people like this who just get to marry willy fucking Nilly. Yeah. And that's not okay. Anyway, the other thing to note, and this is the last thing we're going to say about him, is that your boy escaped for a minute. What? Uh Uh-huh. But was it by rocket or submarine? Well, he made it half a mile and was only gone for five minutes. Well... So, this motherfucker took a female prison psychologist as a hostage. Ugh. Of course he fucking did. hmm And he had some weapons that they said resembled a gun and, like, a bomb belt. But I think when they got closer, it wasn't that. But, I mean, the dude built fucking submarines and rocket ships. You're gonna think that he can yeah. fucking MacGyver a bomb belt yeah. up in prison. yeah. So, they kept their distance, but he was taken into custody. Like, literally, he was arrested half a mile from the prison, five minutes after police... I mean, literally five minutes after police were... Hey, uh, Peter got out. And they arrested him. Was the psychologist hurt? Nope. Nobody was hurt. Okay. And it says nothing indicated that the belt actually had explosives. So, it looked like it, but he didn't have anything to actually make it explosive.
1: Well, that's good. Well, that's good. But that's also him didn't really have the the full education to do everything that he thought he knew. And on the outside, he was this really jovial person and, you know, whatever.
0: And just, like, appearances can be deceiving. But, yeah, because he was the flashy one, the one that was, like, Doing all the talks and the interviews and the this and the that. And he's the one that's causing the ruckus at the lab and all of that. Because because you're right. They're the ones that actually knew the shit. And he's the one that felt inadequate. Yeah. And poor Kim, who was this amazing journalist that was going places and had been places. And her life was shortened because of some asshole. And his sexual desire. And his fucking narcissistic inadequacies. Yeah. Her family does have a GoFundMe set up that funds a scholarship on her behalf for young women pursuing like journalism degrees.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And I think they've raised over like $400,000 for this degree. I mean, for this scholarship. She was, I mean, she just was so beautiful, too. Like, she was beautiful inside and out, you know? Well, my story might be a little
1: more depressing. Oh, fuck. Yeah. We should have switched order. (laughs) Well, like we always say, how real life can be scarier than paranormal, it rings true with this story. But don't fret, there's some paranormal aspects as well. We're going to be exploring the life of Rhoda Derry. Have you ever heard of her? The name sounds familiar. Okay, she was born in 1834 in Indiana,
0: but then her family moved to Illinois. And she became best friends with Mary Tyler Moore. No. And then got a spinoff show.
1: No. I have no idea who
0: you're talking about. Rhoda.
1: Well, not that person. But they moved to Adams County, to be exact. Well, Rhoda came from a pretty large family. She was the youngest of nine children. And you know, in that Irish folklore that I did before, and I said, beauty doesn't see class? Well, Rhoda was as beautiful as her family was poor. And they were dirt poor.
0: All I can think of is that Luanne De La song, Money can't buy your class. No, oh, again. <laughs> no? Okay. Okay. I know somebody's going to understand. Okay.
1: Rhoda's family did not own any land, and they actually worked as tenant farmers on other people's land and stuff like that. When Rhoda was 16 years old, she met and fell in love with Charles Phoenix. And Charles was instantly smitten with Rhoda, too, and mesmerized by her beauty inside and out. The thing was, Charles Phoenix came from a neighboring farm family, and they were pretty well off. Landowners, all the things. And Charles was the oldest of four children, so he was set to inherit everything when his father died. So the exact opposite of Rhoda. Good for Rhoda.
0: Probably his family,
1: not such a fan of it. Right. But this didn't matter to the young couple. They didn't see their differences. You know, they were enamored with each other, only saw the good. And their relationship went on for a few years. And then Charles asked Rhoda to marry him. And of course, she said yes. But that was the last straw for Charles's mom, Nancy Phoenix. She did not want to have her family have any association with the dairy family. And she did not want her son and her husband's legacy to land in the hands of who she deemed the lesser class. And, you know, they worked for everything, you know, that whole thing. And so she did what she thought she had to, and what she thought was a mother's duty to protect her son from being hurt, from being used, because she could only believe the lies she told herself at night, that Rhoda was using Charles, you know, she had plotted everything to use Charles to get his money and land for her own family. Well, one day, Nancy saw Rhoda, and Nancy threatened Rhoda by telling her that she would put a hex on her if she didn't call the engagement off. And that might seem silly, like, okay, but it shook Rhoda to her core. You see, her family had a connection with witchcraft, or a rumored one, at least. Word was that Rhoda's grandmother, Maul Derry was the witch of the Revolutionary War. Like the
0: witch. Not a witch. The, the witch. witch.
1: Yes. It's like a whole thing. You can read about it. Like, her and her husband. Her husband was asked to fight. Okay, so he came over here with the British. Then... She, like, dressed up as a man. She basically pulled a Mulan and (laughs) (laughs) dressed up as a man, fought beside him, and then they switched sides and fought over here. He was supposed to be, like, an expert marksman. And so they said that, like, he never missed, and so he had to be, like, a wizard. And she could tell... You know, like, an ambush was going to come or whatever. And so she was the witch of the Revolutionary War kind of thing. You know, all of this. So whatever. But the story goes. But with all of that comes some bad stories, too. That after all of that, she settled down and she started doing, like, some voodoo stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. So Rhoda had grown up hearing all of these stories about Maul Derry and hearing the scary tales about how she was basically the devil. Yeah. So that day, it seemed something switched in Rhoda. She was never the same. And in two weeks time, she unfortunately became manic. She suffered a mental break. She would spout off about Old Scratch coming to get her, and he was always after her. And Old Scratch is, like, the 1900s slang for the devil. She also began to hear voices, and she would have these, like, bouts at home where she would get on her bed, head on the mattress, and, like, spin her head in a circle, and they would say, like, a top, but not, like... So she was breakdancing. Yeah, but how I picture it is not... Like, breakdancing, and, like, how her head's, like, glued to the mattress, but her body is, like, circling it, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how I'm picturing that. And no one but Rhoda's mom, Rachel, really tried to help her. And Rachel didn't know what to do, but she did her best. If Rhoda said she was being attacked or followed or anything like that, Rachel would get her pistol and shoot at the evil spirits or the witches that Rhoda said were around her, even if Rachel couldn't see him. Which
0: doesn't sound healthy or safe, but it's what she could do. Right. When you go from having a child that's perfectly mentally stable to all of a sudden is literally having hallucinations, I mean, you do what you can. Yeah. Especially back then, because it's not like, oh, let me put her on this 72-hour hold. You know, I mean, it's not like, let me fucking... What is it, fifty-one, fifty-seven or whatever it is? Let me like baker act her ass. Like it's like yeah. what you do. Yeah. You handle it in your family. Mm-hmm. Well, it got to the point where
1: Rachel carried her pistol around in her apron. You know, and she didn't know what else to do. But if it made Rhoda feel a little bit safer, it was worth it. Meanwhile, there's holes all in the
0: house. It looks like Swiss cheese, but here we
1: are. You know? Anything for your kids. Anything for your kids. But it did come to a point where the Dairies had to send Rhoda to seek treatment. And so they admitted her to the Jacksonville Mental Hospital in Illinois. While she was there, she was kept in the locked ward. I mean, which everyone is. You know, they're going to lock the doors. They can't just be willy-nilly around there. But every morning, she was discovered roaming the halls or the grounds of the hospital, searching for the love of her life. Charles. Bless her. Well, the workers didn't know how she could have gotten out of her locked room. And when they asked her how she had gotten out, she would always answer that she was let out. And when they asked by whom, she always gave one answer Nancy Phoenix. Whoa. Yeah. And so that's Charles' mom, but yeah. she's not dead. So it's not like, oh, like, you know. Yeah. Okay. But what Sylvia Schultz, an author who has wrote about Rhoda Dairy, she believes that it was a tulpa. All of her trauma and heartbreak and everything was channeled into energy or a thought form. And of course, it's going to be the one person who had the biggest impact on her life, the person who threatened her and forever changed her life. And remember how we said Slender Man could have been a Tulpa? Yeah. Because he obviously was made up. But if everyone believed in him, it could become real. So basically this. But because of Rhoda's mental state now, it was kind of intensified. And so it made it where, like, just her believing it was enough. And that's just her take on it. Like, maybe that's what it was. Or, hell... And maybe it wasn't a tulpa, and maybe she had, like, telekinesis or some shit. Is that what it is? Beats me. Sounds right. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? But one thing is, it's a small town, and word got around, and everyone knew that Rhoda was now raving mad. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, gosh. And so maybe Nancy got what she wanted all along. You know? Then it was definitely ruined. Right. But one thing to note is that the Phoenix family just kind of disappeared after that. In the history, like, the sentences and stuff, like, they just kind of disappeared. So maybe Maul Derry didn't like
0: Nancy interfering with her granddaughter's happiness. I mean, karma's a bitch. Right? And what goes around comes around Nancy fucking Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> However... That particular
1: hospital had a two-year maximum stay, and when Rhoda reached it, she was sent back home and labeled as incurable.
0: Remember, like... She literally had a mental break from the sheer panic that Nancy fucking Phoenix caused her. Yeah. Well,
1: Rachel, Rhoda's mother, passed away, and that left just her father, Jacob, to look after Rhoda. This was too much for him, and with a heavy heart, he had to admit Rhoda to the Adams County Poor House, also known as an almshouse, and that was in 1860. She was 25 years old. So a poorhouse, or they were known as almshouse, or a poor farm, that kind of thing. They were essentially a tax-supported place for people down on their luck, A place where they could go when they couldn't support themselves. And, you know, they would get some food, some shelter. They really were not equipped to handle mentally ill patients. But that's where everyone with a mental illness ended up. No, but when you are poor, you don't have money for treatments. Mm -hmm. And the place that they could send her to gave her two years and then... You're incurable. Right. So she got what was available, and that was this poorhouse. And again, like I said, it was basically shelter and food. Well, Sylvia Schultz, the author I told you about, she said something in an interview, and it made me absolutely, like, just heartbroken. She said, basically, if you had $25 for a license in an empty barn, you could open an almshouse. Because the general thought at that time was that the mentally ill could not feel the pain of being too cold or being too hot. Oh, my God. And sometimes they weren't treated any better than animals. So, you know, they really were just left in barns, like, with no insulation, no anything, it's just like, oh, well, they can't feel anything. They're, they're going to be okay. That's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. And so, seriously, if you managed a way to get $25 and you had extra space, hell, you could get some money then by housing some people, you know? Yeah. Well, and to note, not every poor house was bad. And since this was a county one, they had a board that supervised them and stuff so it was among the better ones however again they were not equipped to handle any kind of treatment for mentally ill people and during broda's time at adams county poorhouse she became violent and continued her downward spiral she would constantly rip off her clothes and then try you know to just tear at them I guess trying to tear them to shreds. They tied her clothes onto her, but then she'd just fight harder to get them off. Also, Rhoda developed pica early on during her stay at Adams County Poorhouse. And pica is an eating disorder that causes people to compulsively eat non food items. She would eat anything she could get her hands on, she would pick something off the ground a nail, crunchy, like Pippi Longstockings. Do you remember that part? Mm, but I think it was just one stocking. Oh, <laughs> why do I add an S onto everything? Pins, anything. She would oh. just pick up and eat them. If they gave her chicken for dinner, she would eat it, but bones and all.
0: Oh no! Oh no! I'm sorry. No, 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 ma'am. Yeah,
1: she started to lunge at people if they had buttons on their shirts because she wanted to eat the buttons. Things like that. And that's what I mean by violent against people. Like, it really wasn't her trying to hurt others. It was more rushing at them, like, you know, pulling at their clothes, tearing at their things because she wanted that, that article of clothing because she wanted to eat it. However, she was violent to herself. And another thing she did was that she punched herself in the face so often and so hard that she actually ended up knocking her front teeth out. And like a lot of them and not just like the two front teeth, like a lot. The people there didn't tend to her hygiene really in any way. And so her nails grew just really long. And because she was in constant motion and constant agitation it seemed she would claw at parts of her body but mainly her face and it got to the point where she clawed out her own eyes
0: what like her uh, her, like her her eyes like her actual eyeballs con- uh, um yes out yes
1: and some say it's because she was tired of seeing old scratch but others say she was tired of seeing life through bars and what they mean by this is that for her safety and the safety of others, Rhoda was placed in a Utica crib. And we've talked about them before when I covered Pinhurst, And they're the size of a baby crib, but they're lower to the ground. So picture a baby crib, lower to the ground. But these are covered on top by bars that lock closed. And Utica cribs in general are not a bad invention if used properly. But in Rhoda's case, they were not at all. Usually you have a thin hospital bed that lines the bottom of it. Again, like a crib. You right. know, just a thin thing.
0: She only had straw.
1: What? Straw.
0: I mean, is this fucking Bethlehem and Christmas Eve? Exactly. What the fuck? No room at the inn?
1: Exactly. And then they had, at the hip level, cut holes that, you know, strategically placed and then put a removable tray under to catch her excretions. (gasps) So basically like you would an animal. Oh my God. And most of the time, patients were only confined to these cribs during the night. But she was confined to hers for really long periods of time. Like days, and then months at a time, and then years. Oh my God. During this time, her limbs became drawn up until her knees basically rested under her chin. Oh my God. So basically her legs atrophied, her hips were in terrible shape, and when she was allowed to walk Throughout that time, she basically
0: crab walked and some people said she frog hopped. I can't believe that she could go anywhere. I know. I mean, being in that much of a contracture.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also been noted that the only people who looked after Rhoda were other people who lived there and it was kind of just out of pity. However, Sylvia Schultz says that she hates to think this way, but she can't help it. Because the poor houses were filled with people who had nothing. And really, the poor houses just offered them a lousy place to sleep and some slop to eat. And so they had to keep themselves occupied somehow. And that somehow was Rhoda. And she said that all she can picture is Rhoda locked up in this Utica crib, blind now, hungry for anything, and they knew it. And so she pictures them just teasing her and things like that. You know, she said that there is records that Rhoda's collarbones were broken while at the poorhouse. Oh my god. We don't know if it was abuse, but what she's thinking is it could have been self-inflicted trying to stretch and get things out of people's hands, you know, not yeah. not knowing whatever. And so she is saying it's really like a caged circus animal. Oh. And speaking of animals, oh no! Because of the terrible living conditions, the place was infested with mice, Uh-oh. rats, and I'm sure the other R word. And- Roaches for the new. Oh
0: my god! I mean, if you're if there somebody's new to the podcast, they don't know your like abnormal fear of the fucking word. I don't think that that's abnormal, but the the word yes. Do I want one in this room with me? Absolutely not. Well, you keep saying it, and it's gonna appear. I'm just saying. And can't it's been even, raining. I'm just saying
1: you can't even hear the word. No. Anyway, but because of how they had Rhoda, this made her very appealing to them. And they would nest beside her, run oh, all no, over her. No, ma'am. Okay, you
0: know, no, mm-hmm. ma'am. No, I'm not. Uh, no.
1: Well, later, after some years had passed, Rhoda's crib was replaced with a wooden box that looked kind of like a trough Honestly, it had legs attached to it, so it was off the ground. She had calmed down a bit, so she wasn't much of a danger, I guess. You know, because she...
0: She's in a fucking flexion contracture and
1: she can't fucking move. Yeah. Basically that big terminology. However, she could not tolerate or would not tolerate clothes on her. And so all they could do was cover her with like a canvas sheet. So by this time, she had also lost her ability to speak.
0: Oh, God.
1: And then one day, Rhoda's life would change just as sudden as it did that day with Nancy Phoenix. Oh, my God. A doctor named George Zeller walked into the poorhouse, and he basically said, this woman is coming with me, or I'm going to shut y'all down. Dr. Zeller was of the school of thought that no one was incurable. He actually had the asylum he was superintendent of changed because it had that word in it. And they changed it to the Peoria State Hospital. So she was sent with some other people from that poorhouse and other ones to Peoria by train. And so they were all getting off. And so the usher or whatever you call them, just made a quick pass to make sure they didn't miss anyone on the train. And they saw this wicker laundry basket in the back, which was odd to them because normally people aren't allowed to bring anything like that. It's just what they're wearing. Well, they walked over to pick it up just to carry it off. They set it on the platform and opened the lid to see what was in it. And there was Rhoda. (gasps) She had to be transported that way. Because of how her hips and her legs had atrophied, yeah, she couldn't sit for that extended period of time in a wheelchair or anything like that. Well, they made it to the state hospital, and that night was the first night Rhoda Derry had slept in a bed on clean sheets in 44 years.
0: 44 years? Yes. Well, I'm fucking
1: speechless. I know. And this time, Rhoda was not neglected. She was doted on. The nurses made her the daughter of the ward, basically. They wanted her to enjoy the life she had missed for that 44 years. And even though she could no longer walk, could no longer see, they would wheel her out into the sunshine, stroll her around the gardens to let her smell the flowers, soak up the rays, hear all of the animals, like birds, not rats, and the hospital even had these dances, and they would take her there just so she can listen and feel the music. And Rhoda greatly improved under Dr. Zeller's care, but unfortunately she died only two years later from TB, tuberculosis, on October 9th, 1906. That was the day before her birthday, and she would have been 72 Holy shit. But for those two years, she was happy and she was loved. She knew who Dr. Zeller was. And every time he walked into the room, she would beam. I think she knew by his scent or yeah. you know, speech or anything. He was her savior. And as much as she loved him, he loved her too. She was buried on the grounds of the hospital in Cemetery One. And so now for the paranormal side. Just a few months after Rhoda died, some nurses reported seeing a crouched figure who looked like Rhoda at the cottage she used to live in. Because the hospital was set up in a cottage-like setting because Dr. Zeller said he didn't want them to feel like prisoners. He had gotten in trouble because he made them take down all the bars off the windows and stuff and they were like, that's like $6,000 worth of shit that you're getting rid of. And he's like... Yeah, like, get rid of that.
0: Yeah, don't care. Get rid of it. Mm-hmm.
1: And he actually used a Utica bed, but it was – he put all of, like, the straight jackets and, like, handcuffs and, like, all this stuff in it, and he would take it to, like, state fairs and, you know, like, to different things, and he would be like, this is what your loved ones will not be in. You know, like, I will – You know, like cure them with love, with kindness, with understanding, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And he was thought to be kind of a wackadoo kind of in that day, because, you know, they're like, okay,
0: sure. Of course they did.
1: Uh huh. But also back to paranormal. Some people have seen a beautiful brown haired lady in period clothing. And when they ask her her name, she replies, Rhoda. And so it's like she can revert back to the time that she was like the happiest and the healthiest when she wants to, you know, it's also said in front of her grave, if you feel a tugging on your pants leg and smelling chew tobacco, it's her because something else about her when she was a younger teen, she got into the habit of chewing tobacco, loved it. And even in the hospital, she would crawl on her hands, you know, crawl with her hands over to you, tug on your pants leg, and ask you for some if you had it out or she can smell it on you. What? Yeah, hence the phantom tugging now. And there was this one website that said one of the workers who had neglected Rhoda was terrified to sleep at night because he had saw her doing that crab walk, kind of like frog hop thing at the end of his bed, and he assumed she was back for revenge on him. But I didn't find it in a lot of places, and I honestly don't think Rhoda had a mean bone in her. And I think she would stay at the place she was at peace, there on the hilltop of Peoria State Hospital.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. And that is
0: the story of Rhoda Derry. Oh, my God. That is fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. And, like, it's real.
1: It's real. And you can look up pictures. We'll have them on the website and, like, Instagram. She really, like, her case with Dr. Zeller helped further mental health later on, you know, to say, this is what you don't do. That's
0: fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. That reminds me a little bit of that case that I did about that French girl, Blanche, but I'm not going to go much into it because obviously we did a story on it, but it was episode 97, House of Horrors.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, one thing when you were talking about like, oh my gosh, 44 years, Sylvia Schultz, the author, the book that she wrote was 44 Years in Darkness, A True Story of Madness, Tragedy, and Shattered Love. And in it, she goes through details of in 44 years. Like that, okay, sure, 44 years, that's a long time. But in 44 years, all of this stuff happened, you know, and kind of like listed the presidents and listed like the monumental things around the world that happened. Yeah. And then you're like, holy shit. Like when you can see the timeline of – Everything that happened while she laid in that bed.
0: Right. Well, and if you think about the timeline as far as like the years in which she was alive, I mean, if you look at the typical lifespan, I mean, some people didn't even live but 44 years. right? So just think about how amazing of a life she could have had mm-hmm. had she been able to have a normal fucking life and not be literally in the fucking fetal position in an adult-sized fucking crib on Pine Straw. Yeah. And I mean, how long could she have potentially lived? You know? Who knows? She could have died at 40. But she could have died 40 fucking happy as shit, not fucking 72 from TB in this hospital. Right.
1: But I'm really glad that it ended on a happy note.
0: She had those last two years. Absolutely. Feeling love like she hadn't felt in... <laughs> 44 years. Minimum, though, because yeah. she was in... In the other two. poor house for 44 years. Yeah, and so, then for Yeah, you're so right. So she was in that other house, I mean, in that other institution for two years, and then there was some time in between yeah. where her mom died and her dad couldn't take care of her, and then some years back... Or some time before that, when her mom was pew, 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 her hallucinations. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking probably 50 fucking years since fucking what's-her-face Phoenix, Nancy Nancy fucking Phoenix, (laughs) put the fake hex on her. Yeah. And then we had to bring in the Witch of the Fucking Revolution to really take care of the Phoenixes. Right. So both of our victims were
1: tortured, but in different ways.
0: But in both cases, a life taken away Far too soon, but in very different ways. Yeah. And by both fucking selfish, motherfucking, narcissistic, piece of shit people. Seriously. Because I blame you, fucking Nancy Phoenix. Me too. Watch her actually not have said anything about
1: a heck star. you know? Well, you know, they said when that whole rumor was going around that like, oh no, she, she is... For real bonkers. Like, things are going on, you know. They said that Nancy was like, well, let me go talk to her and tell her I didn't put a hex on her. I didn't. And, like, her family was like, you're not talking to her. Because this was when she was back. Yeah. In town. And they're like, you're not. You know, because, hello, if she really did put a hex on her and then this is going on, you know, what else is she going to do? But also, like, fuck you because... If nothing else, you didn't accept my daughter. You know what I mean? So she felt bad. But was it because you were experiencing something,
0: Nancy? Or you know what I mean? I don't know. But No, I hope that she fucking actually felt bad. And I hope that she fucking was... Fucking torture. No, not tortured. I don't want anybody to be tortured. But I hope that she had to fucking live with that shit every day for the rest of her fucking life. That because she was selfish and she didn't want her fucking son to be happy. Because, oh God forbid, he was dating someone that was poor. That she wouldn't gain anything from. Exactly. Because he was happy. Mm-hmm. Who cares how much money she has? He was happy and he was in love and would have, could have potentially lived the rest of his life. In the most happy marriage ever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you didn't want that. For, you didn't fucking want that for him. So you did this. So I hope that you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Yes. Fucking Nancy fucking Phoenix. <laughs> well, y'all tell us what y'all think. Do y'all think that Nancy fucking Phoenix really put a hex on her? And or do you think that the witch of the fucking revolution got some revenge for Rhoda? Hmm. Or none of the above, and poor Rhoda really did just have a mental break from it and didn't receive the care that she needed. Yeah. Or D, all of the above. (laughs) D, all of the above. Well, thank y'all so much for listening. Thank y'all so much for supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review on all the platforms. Especially iTunes, because we are almost at 1,000. And
1: remember, creep it real and And don't don't get get scared.